Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name's Mark. I'm uh, director, senior pastor. Welcome to everyone on Zoom. This is the biggest Zoom crowd we've had in quite some time. Just, well, I'm so delighted that even though uh, you're at home, you can still be with us and you've uh, made the time and effort to actually log in and uh, with any luck, the internet will uh, cooperate. Uh, and if it doesn't, eh, uh, what can we say? It's the NBN. Um, if you're visiting with us, it's so lovely to see you. Uh, this is the time of year when people are moving and, uh, and changing cities and suburbs and churches and uh, religions. So uh, great to see you. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll uh, get into thinking a little bit about uh, what God might be saying to us through Psalm 36. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us so much. Thanks for today, that we can be here online and in person. Thank you for your love that in this world of anxiety and fear and uncertainty, your love, uh, O oh Lord, um, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness goes to the skies. Thank you that as we come, we'll know that your righteousness is like the highest mountain and your justice is like the great deep. Thank you. And so we come now to take refuge in the shadow of your wings. We come to feast on the abundance of your house. We come to drink from the river of your delights. And in your light, Lord, we will see not just the world, but the very nature of light itself. And so, so speak to us now. Be present with us now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, I'm not sure where you are on the spectrum or continuum of faith, how easy or difficult you find it to believe what you believe. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus and you identify as a Christian, uh, I'm not sure how easy you find that. There are many things that can make it hard to hold a position of uh, orthodox Christian faith. And um, uh, one of the things about Christianity that we often don't do is acknowledge some of those difficulties and challenges and then look at them head on in such a way that actually shows us that actually following Jesus being a Christian is actually makes far more sense of the world and is a far better way to live than the alternative, even though it has challenges and can feel hard. So that's so we're gonna and I'll, let me show you what I mean by this. This psalm, I don't know if you were paying attention when Mark read it. Uh, psalm thirty-six is a wonderful, wonderful psalm, right? But. To most contemporary Australians, your friends and my friends, and maybe even you, if, if this is your worldview, uh, for most people, verses 1 to 4 are incomprehensible. They simply don't make sense, really, do they? So we gloss over it and go, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, if you stop and think about it, imagine if you went to the world and said, well, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Now, um, the sinfulness of the wicked, like our culture doesn't really believe in sin, does it? 
let alone calling people wicked. I mean, actually, maybe now with COVID, we've reintroduced the concepts of evil and sin. Like, you know, if you're an anti-vaxxer, then, well, even then, you're just stupid. And if, and if you're an anti-vaxxer and, you're a, and you, you look at people who've been caught up in the vaccination move, then you're just, you're just deluded and you're also stupid. So we call each other stupid, but really not evil or wicked. No one would really say either a pro-vax or an anti-vax person is wicked, would they? They'd say stupid, deluded, maybe... But wicked, I don't know. So, but that's really important. So what I'm going to do today from Psalm 36 is show you from the psalm a biblical worldview uh, or a philosophical understanding of humanity. Because this, And then we're going to contrast that with the view of God, and then we're going to show how we live in that tension. Uh, the psalm is really simple. Taught, tells us about God, about humans, tells us about God, then tells us how we of faith should live. But if we don't understand the first part and the, the place at which it puts us in great conflict with our contemporary understanding of the world, we won't really appreciate or understand the second part. The other way of putting that is, if you don't understand who you are, you won't really understand who God is. Now, of course, the paradox is, if you don't understand who God is, you also won't really understand who you are, but we'll start with the first one. If you don't understand yourself and the nature of humanity, you won't understand God. So, um, the psalm is, is very uh, unflattering about humanity. Um, this is the message. There's no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. We're self-deceived at an epistemic level. That is that even our, even our appar the apparatus that helps us know is, is twisted and corrupted and flawed because we, uh, we build our lives on an edifice of delusion about our own greatness and grandeur. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. We just say stuff all the time that is not just... It doesn't just come out of our own personal brokenness and trauma, but is actually wicked and, and deceitful. We f and then not just do we say stuff that's bad, we fail to do stuff that's wise or good. Um, even on their beds, they plot evil. Like we're always thinking about how to get our own way, how to look after ourselves, how to advance our own cause. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. So this is a, this is a gloomy picture of humanity. So let me frame this. I'm going to show you in this next little diagram, there are really four ways you can map out or understand humankind. And um, I'm going to try and make this super clear. Uh, and and if, if I lose you along the way, stick your hand up and, and ask me to back up and clarify, and I will. And on Zoom, you can stick your hand up, and Keelan, who's behind the computer, will notice and tell me to back up and clarify. Okay. When we think about humans, we can, humans, human beings uh, can be thought about in two ways. Um, we can think about um, what or who we are. I'm going to use a big word here and then I'm going to explain it. We can think about who we are metaphysically. Um, that is uh, our... 
our nature, um, what's the fundamental essence of us, the, our usness, as it were? I've just made that word up. Or as the uh, older theologians would talk about, you can think about this as what does it mean for us to have a soul, right? To be a soul. What's, what's our nature metaphysically? Now, um, one way to think about this is you can, think, uh, you can think about this as a spectrum, right? This is on a spectrum. And uh, down the bottom here, you can think we are really just uh, animals. So a way of thinking about this is you and I are no more or no less than any other substance in the universe. We are really a product of um, uh, atoms plus accidents, <laughs> time plus chance. Does that make sense? So we're just here. We've evolved. We don't know from where. We're no different. There's no different between you and your Labradoodle, except your Labradoodle probably costs more to maintain and is easy to get along with. Um, but you're no different. Okay, that's one thing. The other end of the spectrum says we're um, angels or angel-like uh, or we're, we're god-like. Or we're gods, depending on how you frame it. And in all of human history, and in every philosophy and cultural understanding of the world, we place our understanding of who or what we are on one of those two places. Are we animals or are we angels? Are we, are we dirt and dust or are we divinity? I'm just going to... That's quite good, isn't it? We're dust or divinity. Um, so that's one, one spectrum, right? One uh, continuum you can place humanity on. Now, it gets a little more complicated than that. There's a second one, and that is um, m what are we like morally? Or another way of putting this is um, what's the self, what's your self capable of, and what does your self actually do in the world? Um, and uh, here, is, um, here is another way of thinking about this. Um, what, do we, what do we actually do? And here's another, here's another spectrum. And the one thing is you can say we are totally evil. That, that actually what we do is really wicked and bad. On the other hand, you can say here we are actually fundamentally complete. We're good. We're, we're just, we're morally extraordinary and wonderful. We are fundamentally, uh, our, ourselves are good. Um, this is uh, another way of thinking about this. And you can see how this plays out in our culture, um, where people would say we are, um, this is a, one example of this would be with the French philosopher uh, Rousseau, who would say, man is born free, but everywhere in chains. That is that you and I are fundamentally good. We're good beings. Occasionally, society and culture makes us do bad things, but we're good. We're good. We're not bad. We're not wicked. We're good. Okay. 
with me so far? Two ways. Now, it gets exciting because we can add those two together and form a little uh, four quadrants. And we can divide, we can place our understanding of humanity uh, philosophically and historically and culturally in one of these four quadrants. So here, this is the animal... Uh, animal angel quadrant. This is the, the this is our souls. And this is the evil good. This is the self. Okay, you see you see this animal to angel? So uh, imagine for a moment you have a view of humanity that says we are basically nothing more than animals. Okay, so we're here, we're, um, where's it gone? We're here, but we're also really bad. We're basically bad. That puts us where? You could be, you could have a position uh, here, which means you're a pessimistic misanthrope. You're, you're pessimistic about humanity. We always do what's wrong, and we're basically evil, and we're bad. Um, uh, this is um, French existentialism after the Second World War. Camus, we're all bad. Just you know, and you see this in French art and literature. Every French movie ends with people dying alone. Uh, of heroin overdoses, having, you know, abandoned everybody and betrayed everyone. They're, they're evil and they're useless and they're worthless and you die alone. It's bleak and it's black. And the, the, the students of the French existentialists post-Second World War in the 60s, taken to their logical extreme, jumped off into the Seine and killed themselves because that's what you're left with. We're bad and we do bad things. Uh, that's Thomas, that's a, that's a Camus, that's a Thomas Hobbes. Okay. Um, is that us today? Mm, mostly not. But hold that thought because we'll plot where we are today. Uh, then on the other hand, against pessimistic, misanth pessimistic misanthropy, you could come to the exact opposite quadrant and you could say we're, we're fundamentally good and we're also divine and uh, we, we don't just do good, we are fundamentally different to the animals, so we're up here. And this would be the um, optimistic humanist, right? The optimistic humanist, this is uh, Rousseau, this is Walt Whitman, this is actually a lot of um, New Age kind of contemporary pop spirituality. We're basically discover the goddess within 
and get your chakras realigned so you, 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 the, the goodness that's in you and that defines you will just flow through. Your energy will be released and, and our divinity will flourish and flower and we'll all be just good and wonderful because that's who we are and that's what we really do. And when we don't do good, it's not because we're bad. It's because our, our energy has been blocked, our cheese misaligned, our cheese has gone off um, and... I thought that was quite funny. And uh, it's a tough crowd. Maybe you didn't get the joke. Just slid it in there to see if you're still awake. And so this is who we really are. Okay, Optimistic humanism. This had a great flowering in the, in the 1920s. Uh, in, the, in the sort of the 1890s, the boom there, a turn of the century, late Victorian era, we were conquering the world, England strode across the world, uh, eugenics, social Darwinism would conquer, we'd get rid of all disease, get rid of all bad people, all that would be left would be the Englishman ruling the world, and it would be fabulous and wonderful. <laughs> And then World War I happened, and World War II happened, and we had a century of, you know, educated white people massacring each other en masse. And we suddenly went, oh, maybe, maybe optimistic humanism doesn't really work. Uh, so then, of course, um, there is a view that says, okay, we're basically good, but we're also really flawed, and we're really no better than animals. Okay, so um, what would that be? This is, this is actually... Um, the uh, Catholic philosopher Peter Kreeft is the one who's conceptualized this, and uh, uh, he calls this modern paganism. Modern paganism says, I'm, I'm really metaphysically, ontologically at the nature of being. I am no different to my labradoodle. I'm just a thing. I've evolved. I don't know where I've come from, but I'm here my life has no intrinsic value and worth in and of itself, but I'm wonderfully good and glorious nevertheless. Modern paganism, you see this, right? Um, where children are basically good, child-centered education. The kid is great. The kid's fantastic. You can do no wrong. Your nature doesn't determine you. Your nature is just a thing that has evolved. It's completely pliable. So what you've got to do educationally is, is enable the kid to be this wonderfully good being. And don't let anything get in the way of that. You see that animating um, our, perhaps the, the debate on um, human sexuality. Uh, so our nature in the transgender uh, debate, are you a gender realist? The, the gender unrealism of the trans movement says is exactly this form of modern paganism. It says, my nature is not given. It's just a thing. It's really just a collocation of atoms brought together by time and chance. It's just this. It doesn't determine anything. What matters is, is, is who I am and what I choose to do and to be because I'm fundamentally good. So whatever I choose, that's good and that's who I am. And nature shouldn't determine that because nature, it's just an animal thing. It's just dust. It's just passing. So I can define reality because I'm good. And for you to tell me that I'm not is oppressive and damaging, right? Um, this is, uh, in this view, um, you know, we, we love the self and we hate our souls. This is, I would call this uh, not just modern day paganism, but this is Darling Street. 
isn't it? If, if we went down to the cafes that were open, we talked to people, you, you probed into what was really going on. This is the worldview around us. And this is why Psalm 36 is incomprehensible, because Psalm 36 doesn't believe this. But if you went down to Darling Street and you said to someone, are you, what do you like fundamentally? They'd say, well, my nature is, they, they wouldn't, once you explain these categories, they'd go, yep, uh, I'm, uh, humans are nothing special. That's why we are happy to abort them and euthanize them, right? Or well, not happy to, but, but philosophically, we're not opposed. There's no philosophical, settled objection to taking human life. It's a pragmatic decision. At what age does the fetus become a person and how inconvenient is it? And, and, and actually, what determines the value of the fetus is how much the mum wants it. Okay, so if the mum really wants it, at 23, 24 weeks, you can keep it alive. If the mum really doesn't want it, at 23, 24 weeks, you can terminate it. Because, because it's really nothing, and that, you know, philosophically, that's just consistent. It's just, this is just a, a bit of matter brought together. But, but what the mum is doing is you could never say that that's wrong because that's her choice and she's fundamentally good. And, and maybe it's been, a, it's tragic and it's a bad, it's, it's an awful set of circumstances that have forced her to make that choice. But she's good and don't you dare, don't you dare ever suggest that someone may not actually be good and wonderful and glorious. And the same at the other end of life, you know, euthanasia. And what determines whether I should be kept alive or I should die? Well, no deep philosophical vision that says I'm different to the animals. I'm not. Uh, we've got a Labradoodle because we're the pin-up family for Roselle. She's vegan as well, so, you know, we're next-level Roselle family. Like, we've got a vegan in the house. Um, but, you know, Chimmy, she's gorgeous. She's lovely. But there's going to be a time when she, you know, a good dose of Nembutal puts her out of her aging misery. And that's going to be really sad. But I wouldn't do that to Freya. <laughs> uh, no, you know, nor would I do that to myself. Why? Because as Christians, we exist in the one quadrant that we haven't looked at yet. And as Christians, we exist in this quadrant where we are glorious, angelic, divine-like beings, different to anything else in the universe, but we're also tragically flawed and morally, man, we're a mess. So this, this is Christianity, right? This is Christianity. Uh, the way Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher, put it, and, and he's the one who really developed this paradoxical way of thinking, he said, we are the glory and the garbage of the universe. Okay, we are glorious on this axis. This is glory, but we're garbage here. And, and that's true. It's not, and, and we have to hold both things to be true. Um, everyone, every single being, every single human that you and I encounter, whether they are the worst pedophile or mass murderer or horrific perpetrator of intimate partner violence or racist 
or homophobe or transphobe or anti-vaxxer or anyone else that is currently, you're okay to despise culturally, every single human person that you meet is a glorious, glorious being made a little lower than the angels according to Hebrews. Exquisite, glorious, with, with a glory that transcends any other being in the universe. And that is, we never lose that. Every concentration camp guard in Auschwitz who shoveled uh, my tribal group, Jews of Eastern Europe and Europe, every concentration camp guard who shoveled people into showers and then into ovens was a glorious, exquisitely made being made in the image of God, and that was never lost. And it's never lost in you. It's not determined. That dignity, that glory, isn't given to us by our choice. It's given to us by who we are, what we're made in. That means that every child in utero and out of utero is infinitely valuable. That means every person at old age, no matter what state uh, of dementia and decline they're in, no matter how much pain and suffering they're going through, that person is infinitely valuable. That means that no matter what ethnicity you have, no matter how tribally and culturally different you might be, whether you're a Muslim Uyghur in the west of China, or you're a, a black African-American in the south of the United States, or you're an uh, indigenous person in community in Australia, or you're a sophisticated English migrant living in Balmain, we're all the same, and you never lose that. And that's, a, and that's massively important. Radical. Because, you see, we live in a culture because we don't have that. Because, actually, culturally, we're modern pagans, you see. Because of that, we can despise people, we can hate people, we can kill people, we can cancel people. It's okay. We have no philosophical grounds not to. But Christianity also says, and this is, Psalm, this is where you get to Psalm 36, this is the introduction, by the way. We're also wicked. And you know that, don't you? G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic writer, said this. He said, the, um, the doctrine of, the biblical doctrine of human sin is the one doctrine that requires no faith to believe. Like, we are a mess. And, and our, we do what is wrong, not because of external constraints or what's happened to us, but because we're morally flawed. We cannot not be selfish. We cannot not mess things up like we just do. Francis Buffett, the Oxford writer, says that he defines sin this way. It is the ineluctable human tendency to F things up. He inspired that song, A, B, C, D, E. It's there, right? We have this tendency to mess everything up. Just think about this. Think about today. Um, do you reckon you could get through even one day with loving everybody else around you just the same way you love yourself? I mean, think about it. Like, could you do that just for one day? I don't think so. 
I mean, maybe if you didn't meet anyone. See, and of course, that's actually, that's the Buddhist solution, right? Is you just withdraw and disconnect. Because if you connect with anybody, that's mindfulness, right? And meditation taken to its ultimate uh, point is to solve the problem of human evil by w removing all desire in any contact with other humans so that then I don't do any evil. Of course, Christianity has a different view. It says everyone's wonderful and brilliant and glorious. We all still are evil at the same time. So that's the paradox of humanity. We are the glory and the garbage of the universe. But we're wonderfully loved. We never got... We, it, so that's us. And do you start to see now that until you understand this paradoxical way of map of understanding humanity, you don't under, you, you can't make sense of Psalm 36, right? You can't make sense of the Bible. And you can also understand why so many in our culture don't don't hear us. When we say when we say people are evil, they take that as a tremendous affront because all that people go is you are saying that I'm incapable of any good, and that's clearly not true. And I say, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that everything you do will be shot through with selfishness without diminishing your intrinsic value. So I might disagree with you. You might be an appalling human being in terms of how you behave, but you're made in the image of God and you're beloved. So um, this gap culturally is massive, right? And when we think about the journey of faith, it's a journey from here to here. And it starts with, here's a good place to start, right? Psalm 36. It starts with a, a sober, sober realization of our predicament and the mess we're in. And then you go, well, what's God going to do with that? Because that's the question, right? What'll, what would you do if you were God? If you were looking down on these people who were amazing? Had the, I mean, this is, we, have the, we have the ability as human beings to create this, the Sistine Chapel, to use human creativity to paint the Sistine Chapel. And we use that very same creativity um, <laughs> to create marketing art that causes people to buy crap that they don't need. Trivial, useless stuff. We're the people who have the ability um, to create life, to, to make love, to have sex. And out of that, from nowhere, new life emerges. Like you just look at the back of church. Like those little beings weren't there a, a, a few months or a few years ago. And then in this godlike act of sex, two people came together and a new life was born. Bang! And you go, wow, that's glorious and amazing. And with that very same thing, we create pornography. And we take this beautiful godlike thing and we distort it and make it ugly and oppressive and evil. If you were God, what would you do with people who did that with their incredible ability and blessing and capacity? Well, look at this. What God, thankfully, 
the Bible says God doesn't just pull the plug on us because God is way, God is amazing. God is wholly good in both the nature of his being and in his actions. And that's what the psalmist does. Having, having dug deep in the mess of our own paradoxical glory and garbageness, the answer to life is to go, oh, thank God there's one being in the universe who is like this, who is all good and all powerful and all loving. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. This is just poetry. This is just going, look, compared to us, as wonderful as we are, we're still a mess. But look at God. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, righteousness, justice. That's how God is described. He's faithful. Uh, he's full of, he is love. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's just. And then you know what he does out of all of that? This is one for the greenies, which is all of us because we're Christians. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. He loves our Labradoodle. And he keeps her alive. And maybe one day in the new creation, Chimmy will be there bounding along with her rickety old legs healed and restored. And I don't know. Or a better version of Labradoodles will be in the new creation one day. But this is what God does. He looks at us and he loves us and he preserves us and animals, the world. He doesn't just preserve, he, this, like, it's amazing. How priceless is your unfailing love, oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. If you really want safety and security in this world, if you really want to be secure in the world, do not place your secure, do not look for safety and security in human beings because we are all here. The person to whom you come to for comfort and security and safety will also be the person who will betray you and abandon you and leave you. It's only a matter of time. A good bit of marriage prep. Any engaged people? And that's that's what happens. And so, therefore, the answer is: find your security and your safety in the shadow of God's wings, and then He will meet all our deepest needs. Look at that! Feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And of course, though we don't have time to get into it, um, all of these actually are fulfilled in Jesus. So Jesus is the perfect, if you want to see what true humanity is like, if you want to see how we're meant to live, uh, Jesus is actually the only optimistic, the only person who really exists um, in this space. I've got to give him a different color. He's the only one who occupies this quadrant in truth. And, because, and if we follow him, you know what we find? We find in him uh, eternal life. We find in Jesus the living water that bubbles up from inside of us. We find in Jesus the bread of life, the bread of heaven, that if we feast on him, we'll never be hungry again. And we find in Jesus light for the world. 
So we come to him. And then, having done all of that, you know what we do? How this is how the psalm ends? We live a life of prayer. How do we live with this world as it is, with hope in a God who, who, who apparently is really good and great and wonderful and offers us all this stuff? And how do we live in the brokenness and the mess of the, our own glory and garbage? Well, we pray. We pray. And that's how the psalm ends, as so many psalms do. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. So pray. This morning, if you're online, you're here, wherever you are on your faith journey, what you've got to do is take stock of your own wickedness, your own glory and magnificence and extraordinary exquisiteness, and you've got to look at the world through those eyes, and then you've got to say, in the middle of all of that, Lord, continue to pour your love into my life, because I need it desperately. And then pray for protection from evil people. It's okay. I mean, the world is hard, right? It's pray for protection. Pray that evil may not come upon you and upon us. And then be those who actually are the answers to our own prayers to protect the vulnerable and the weak. But pray. The Bible's so realistic. So realistic about the nature of life and the nature of God and our nature. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this psalm that uh, exposes who we are and who you are so clearly and i pray that at the uh, there have been a lot of words on my part this morning i ask you as we understand and embrace our glory our angel-like divine-like status we'll also understand our own wickedness and our own propensity to stuff things up and we'll repent of our evil we'll we'll give you thanks for our glory and we'll come to you and we'll be a community, a family, a people of prayer who, who just are driven by life to you. When we see our glory, we're driven by that to give you praise and thanks. When we see our own wickedness, we're driven by you, to, we're driven to you in repentance. And when we encounter the wickedness and the evil of others, may we come to you for protection and shelter and for justice. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.